Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. It is, once again, a great way to, for us to start our day. Hopefully, it's good for you that you're joining us and starting your day by listening to us on the radio, or maybe you're one of those select few that have subscribed to our podcast, The Gospel for Life, and uh, you listen at your leisure. We have been talking about Christmas, Advent, um, the celebration of this time of year. Helping me in this endeavor is Jonathan Van Hoogen from Spring United Reformed Church. Good to be with you. Ron Hemphill from Treasure Valley RPCNA. Good morning. And Vinnie Henke from Community Life. Valley Life Community Church. I always do hey, that. That's quite all right, buddy. It's a mouthful. No, why I do that? <laughs> it's all right. Um, maybe nobody. Some of our listeners haven't really even thought about Advent as a as a concept. So let's just step back and define it. What is Advent? Yeah, it's the season that includes the four Sundays that come before Christmas Day on the calendar. And kind of big arching themes, it's it's a season of waiting designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions in, in history through the promise, preparation, and appearing of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So in our particular church, we celebrate, celebrate, in air quotes, Advent, um, meaning that we pause um, for those four Sundays leading up to Christmas and designate our sermon series around the Incarnation. However, we don't do any extras, um, so we don't have an Advent wreath. We don't light any candles. We don't have readings. So you have some churches that do that. You have some churches that do like we do, where we just do Advent sermons. And then there are other churches, I think this is maybe Ryan's church, that don't necessarily do the Advent series, but they might have an incarnation sermon during the 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 Sunday or the time right before Christmas. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. We don't, um, we don't have a, a series that we go through or, uh, anything like that, but there are occasions where kind of, you know, Charles Spurgeon back in the day of sometimes I preach on the incarnation the Sunday before and sometimes I don't. I, you know, I, I think that uh, when we talk about what churches practice, I mean, it's, they're very, it's much the same as how, families practice uh you know the maybe a christmas day there's going to be differences but i i've it's always been my practice to you know to mark these four sundays before advent why four um it's just that's that's a tradition you know so you know there's no magical number uh you know one one year i did seven uh, you know because <laughs> uh i you know i took the um hymn o come o come emmanuel and there's seven what they call antiphones or, you know, seven requests, uh, you know, for 
And each one of those is a request for the Son of God to come and and visit us. And then each concludes with rejoice, he is going to visit you. And so there's an anticipation of having, uh, you know, there was an anticipation. We have to realize there was an anticipation all through the Old Testament for the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. It started in Genesis 3.15. If there was an Advent message, it starts in Genesis 3.15 with the first promise that's given. And all the way through, um, you know, uh, the Old Testament, uh, we've We've said here on the air, you know, using that book title of, uh, you know, Sally Lloyd-Jones, every story whispers his name. There is a sense in which all through the Old Testament, there's this anticipation, anticipation, anticipation. And so we're getting to that. Um, we're stopping uh, for a moment to recognize the anticipation of, of Christ and what that would mean and then how it transforms us. But also, we can flip it and say what what might not have been so clear in the Old Testament was that there was is a second coming as well. And the first coming, he comes in humiliation. The second coming, he's coming in glory. And so we can flip that anticipation to say we too are waiting. Mm-hmm. We are waiting yeah. for the fulfillment of everything that has been promised in the Old Testament and the New. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's that dual theme of looking back, celebrating God's faithfulness in the first coming of Christ, which can give us a confident expectation of Christ's second coming mm-hmm. one day. And so it's there's this dual anticipation. We look back and remember Israel's anticipation of the coming Messiah, and then we live now in anticipation of Jesus' second coming. And highlighting both of those around Advent is, is one of the great joys. Um, one of the things that sometimes confuses me is the language where it, it sounds like we're anticipating the first coming of Christ again. And there's this yeah. historical awkwardness of mm-hmm. talking about an event that's already happened like it hasn't happened yet, like we're waiting for Christmas Day. I try to avoid that and really center on that right. that expectation of the second coming. I, I think I think back to First uh, Peter chapter one verse ten. Uh, we're told that concerning this salvation, the salvation that Peter's been talking about here, uh, that we've been born again to this living hope. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which, into which angels long to look. And so, you know, that, you know, when we tell this story at Advent, what, what Advent does for me is it gives me an opportunity to preach those Old Testament texts. It gives me a pre- opportunity to preach. Uh, you know, I can go almost anywhere in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, one Advent season, I put, preached the book of Ruth, you know, which is talking about the kinsman redeemer that's to come. I can preach all of that and say, this is what they were, they were seeing. And when I do that, I'm preaching Christ. I'm doing what Paul said. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. I think Jonathan listened into my last week's first Advent sermon because I preached from First Peter. Oh, really? One yeah. three through twelve, and I'm doing this year. My theme for Advent is the 
the advent and angels, the message of the angels mm-hmm. that they brought to different people during the advent season, Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and to the shepherds. And so the, I began with First Peter 1 because mm-hmm. it's all about the salvation. Right. And it's a salvation that even the angels long to look into. They got to declare the gospel message. They mm-hmm. got to declare gospel truths but they have not experienced that gospel I would, reality. I would mm-hmm. say that the value of this for us, and in, in one sense I'm promoting what I do, but there's a value to it. Because if I'm only preaching a Christmas sermon, I'm telling this, I'm, I'm oftentimes using the most familiar text, and I'm doing that year after year. When I'm doing an Advent series, I'm, I'm not doing the same message. I'm taking this wonderful faceted diamond of truth and I'm bringing that facet out from uh, these different passages. So this year this year my advent season is going to be it's Isaiah the prophet of advent. It you know when in fact when Handel's Messiah was written and this is a you're going to probably hear uh, different things from Handel's Messiah this year and during the Advent season if you're listening to the radio, but uh, uh, you will f- you will find that uh, that whole oratorio was centered around 81 scripture verses, and 21 of those were chosen from uh, the Book of Isaiah that talked about his birth and his suffering and his death, uh, you know, ending in that great hallelujah, hallelujah chorus. So I can look at those. I I'm picking themes from Isaiah to do the prophet of Advent. And I think one of the, I mean, the, the important thing is remembering why we celebrate and regardless of, you know, we, we might have series that we do, or there might be one sermon, or it may be just gathering in your family. Um, we've already mentioned it, but it's not that, that distinction in previous episode of the material Christmas, the cultural Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas. And, it's uh, important for us to remember that you know all of that anticipation that Jonathan you've mentioned in the Old Testament, all that pointing towards this event and this culmination, this high point of up to that point of our redemptive history, where Christ came and was born. You know, it's mm-hmm. worth stopping and remembering and praising God and thanking Him for what He's done. So let's just talk through some guidelines. If, if we're going to celebrate Advent correctly, what are some guidelines that help us maybe bring in the whole idea of a regulative principle, Christian liberty, and, and give some help to our listener? You know, I think that when you're talking about uh, the regular principle, you're actually talking about, um, you know, I like to call it the reform principle of worship rather than the regulative principle. I think that what happened was the reformers were saw abuses and they were trying to correct those things. And so you have uh, what was written in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all is good and does good unto all and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself 
and is so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in Holy Scripture. So, you know, the, the Reformers wanted to say that they wanted to worship according to Scripture. They didn't want to bind uh, the conscience of men to traditions or, or you know, it's like, you know, they would think back to the sons of Eli who offered a strange fire doing worship according to the dictates of their heart rather than what God had told them to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, a little bit of care has to be taken, um, uh, you know, when we approach worship that we're, that we're not merely attaching the traditions of men to, you know, I literally, I've been, I, I visited a family church where Santa Claus was sitting in the uh, foyer, mm. you know, I mean, that would be, that would be a little bit much for me, mm. you know, but to, but to actually set aside for a, a little much. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a lot. I don't want to be overtly <laughs> critical because Santa Claus might be sitting in the foyer of one of your churches. You know, I'm not attacking your church, but but this is this is this is the part that I think that we need to be careful that we're not bringing in uh, those things into our worship service. And th- this is why you know some of us that are more strict in the regular principle or reform principle of worship, you know, make that distinction of this isn't a holy day. You know, this isn't given and set apart by God specifically, but there is room in there according to conscience to observe. Yeah. So when we worship, um, there are elements that are required in our worship service, Mm -hmm. you know, the singing of hymns, uh, uh, you know, prayers being made, uh, the preaching of God's word. There are other circumstances that may come in, you know, what songs are you going to sing? And I'll, I'll choose during that time of the year that we sing those songs that point to Christ. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll continue our Advent conversation tomorrow.